earned this eye-watering payday. You're listening to the news on RTHK. The Hong Kong English Poetry Competition is back and the theme this year is white. If you're feeling creative and poetic, then send us your poem of 400 words or less to poetry at rthk.hk by the 12th of July. You can also win some great prizes and have your winning piece read on air. The deadline is the 12th of July. For more information, you can visit our Radio 3 homepage or go to our Facebook page, RTHK Radio 3 Hong Kong. Don't forget, the deadline is the 12th of July. Do you like great music from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s? Don't believe me, just hey, hey. And right up to today. Do you like good music? We've got something for you from every era. This is James Ross with the greatest hits of music. Something for Saturday evening. Join me after the 6 o'clock news right here on Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. Hope you enjoyed your Dragon Boat Festival day off on Monday. As always, I'm going to reshare with you some fun and interesting Radio 3 interviews from the past few days. Let's start with some super talented Hong Kong musicians. Local band The Young Bucks made their mark in Hong Kong's music scene with their self-titled EP in 2019. From playing in dimly lit bars to music festivals, the band has surely come a long way the past few years and have just released their debut vinyl album, Rookies. Band members Chris, Jimmy, and Rob spoke to James Ross on Morning Brew last Monday. Yeah, uh, we started the band in 2012, just uh, me and Seamus McKinnon playing some open mics and things like that. And we've evolved over the last uh, nine years, I guess. Um, we've had a few people come and go throughout the years. And the six people that we have now in the band uh, have been together for three years. Mm. So um, when Rob and Sean and Paul joined a few years back, we really uh, came together as a band. So give us the, give us the full lineup and who, who, who plays what. Okay, so beside me, I've got Jimmy uh, Pittman from Chicago. He's our mm. bass player. Uh, and Rob is from Timberley, Nova Scotia, plays guitar and, and, and sings vocals. Uh, Seamus McKinnon's from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. He plays guitar and sings as well. Uh, Paul, our drummer, from uh, Glace Bay, Nova Scotia. He's our... Um, yeah, he's our drummer, and he runs the studio where we record the album, ah, Sunset right. Studio in Kennedy Town. Okay. And um, Chris, yeah, and Sean Softly is our fiddler uh, from Calgary. And you're the founder, Chris. Yeah. And yeah, so I guess I am the founder. Um, my name's Chris Ivany, and I'm also from Cape Breton, mm -hmm. Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so you've been together as a group for 
how long? The three, the six people now, we've been together for three years. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, we listened to the first track there, which is mm-hmm. uh, Company Store. Yes. Um, very much a sort of full-on folk rock. I yeah. mean, that's what you're doing. I mean, who 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 do you look at? What what are the influences that, that you have in putting this band together? Is it is it uh, Mumford & Sons or, or who is it? <laughs> um, well, do you know, like a lot of my influences started in country music from anywhere from Merle Haggard to Willie Nelson and all the way to Steve Earle. Um, and Rob, how about you? What, who are some of your biggest influences? I mean, I grew up listening to ACDC, and <laughs> Def, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a massive Def Leppard fan. But right. uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. My my parents were my parents are big country. My dad, especially, and my dad's side of the family is country music. So, and where mm. we're from, you have this kind of. Uh, Celtic kind of vibe too so it's a bit of a mishmash I guess you could say of rock and roll and traditional mm. music mm. Yeah. and Jimmy and for me I it's very cliche but I do enjoy all types of music and I try to draw from a little bit of everything but for this particular band I think I kind of draw on you know listening to a lot of Bob Dylan in the band and that kind of uh, vein sure. to see where I you know where I can fit in and listen to what I need to do as a bass player to support the band. You bring the Americana. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys together have been seen around town at what uh, uh, the Wanch when it was there. And yes, of course. Many, many other venues, right? Yeah, the Wanch, uh, we have to give a lot of thanks to John Primer at the Wanch because he gave mm. us our start and uh, he really made us work hard to uh, to get to you know to earn our Friday night gigs and our Saturday night shows so he's been uh, tremendous over the years uh, mm. yeah so thanks John Primer sure yeah. yeah and now the songs that you you put together or that you record they're original songs you write them yourselves or yeah, what's so the deal? there's ten tracks on the album uh, two of them were written by other people um, mm. from back home in Cape Breton uh, the t- track we just listened to the company store was written by a guy named Greg McPherson in the early 2000s and um, we kind of just put our own little twist on it we were playing the song live and it turned into be our, our <laughs> crowd favorite so uh, when we decided to do an album I just shot him an email and he was kind enough to allow us to record the song and uh, the other song on the album astronaut mechanic was written by Chad Tedford also a singer-songwriter from Cape Breton uh, he never released the song um, and just uh, graciously gave it to us to do so great yeah tell us about the song we just heard company store yeah uh, because this, this is a story isn't it, it is it? yeah uh, the company store is uh is a song about the coal mines back in cape breton hmm. so basically i think this happened all over the world in coal mining towns um there was a monopoly basically in the town so the, co- the whoever owned the mines ran what was called the company store and all the workers lived in workers houses um all their paychecks went to the company store and as as like a tab so they couldn't. They never got paid cash. They just got paid through the company store. Mm. So after years and years and years of that, the uh, the workers realized that they weren't getting a pretty raw deal, and uh, decided to fight back. So that's kind of the story of that. And uh, yeah, I guess that resonates to any coal mine in town in the world. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. It, and it, it's folk rock, but it also has a sort of shades of sea shanties in there somehow, yeah. right? Is is that sort of intentional? Yes. We uh, well, we all grew up. Well, four of us are from Nova Scotia, mm. which is on the very east coast of Canada. Canada's ocean playground. That's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we've all been influenced <laughs> by um, Scottish, Irish, Celtic music, fiddle music, you know, sure. Gaelic. Uh, we've we've got all those influences uh in our veins and uh 
Yeah, yeah. Sea, sea shanties are the thing at the moment. I mean, Wellerman has just been back in the charts in the UK yes. as a number one, you know, which is incredible. Yeah. Both both an original version and a remixed version as well. So I guess we're seeing some of those influences come back, which is great. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you've got 10 tracks on the new album, mm -hmm. which is coming out in a few weeks' time. Which and that must, Has that been easy process to, to get to that album? It's been a long process, especially during the pandemic, getting everything done uh, and not being able to get out and play our, our music live to kind of get the, the feedback that you usually get you know from from uh, your audience but uh, we've pushed through and we managed to get it all recorded over the last year and a half and um, it, it's ready to go um, we got uh, we just finished running a Kickstarter campaign which was awesome thank you to everyone who supported that um, and we're ready to uh, to release the album to the people who donated hmm. uh, they're gonna get the first taste of it and then after a month's time so probably mid-July sure. uh, the album will be available online the Young Bucks. We're speaking to James Ross on Monday's Morning Brew. Why not check out their website, theyoungbuckshk.com? Freelance social worker Joshua Leung turned heads when he hiked the full 4,270-kilometer Pacific Crest Trail, which spans across Mexico to Canada, through California, Oregon, and Washington. Despite having to cut his journey short the first time due to his lack of experience, he eventually made it to the finishing line in September of 2020. On Tuesday's 1-2-3 show, Joshua shared with Noreen Mir his inspiring and exhilarating journey. I may start from climbing the Mount Whitney, and Mount Whitney actually, um, where, just, where uh, is Mount Whitney? Mount Whitney is located in California, and that is the highest peak in the continental United States, which is um, excluding from the Hawaii and um, Alaska, and the the elevation is like 4,400 meters. And I climbed that um, mountain, the Mount Willy, with my friend Kevin. And then after submitting the Mount Willy, because um, there actually was a snow snowstorm coming in when we um, hiked, hiked up to the hike, uh, Mount Willy. And then after, um, after going back to our campsite, I realized that um, most of my feet um, they were turning a little bit purple and a little bit white, and I n almost lost all the sensation of it. And then, but I, I still didn't realize how serious is is it. Um, after after all, um, there there was a Norwegian couple called Daniel and Adam, and they tried to um, examine all my feet, and they realized that um, actually. That was so bad, and the frostbite situation is like the level three, and level four is um, dark. It's all dark, and then you have to cut it. And you my have situation. You amputate at level four, and you were at level yeah, three. Yeah, and I was oh at level three at that moment with some blood blister, um, swollen, uh, swollen feet, and yeah, that was not good. And then um, after the. Ex examination with them and all the stuff I have to call the helicopter um, I have to call the emergency unit to um, seek for the rescue but you know that I just mentioned the snowstorm um, was coming in so I waited for almost 30 hours after ah. I pressed the SOS button oh. yeah for my satellite phone so yeah it was horrible and it was 
a little bit dangerous as well. Of course. And then when you finally got the medical attention, um, how, how how were you treated? Because you actually didn't you didn't go to a real hospital. Yeah. You actually, I, I, I saw that you went to a sort of care home for, yeah. for the elderly. <laughs> how did that happen? And what sort of medical attention did you receive there? Yeah, because um, the Mount Windy actually um, it is located like in a remote area, so I was airlifted to the remote hospital um, called um, Non Pine, um, which is in California. And then after entering the hospital, um, I was the only acute patient at that hospital. And I realized that it actually is not a real hospital, but a nursing home. Yeah, and the doctor even um, told me that actually we didn't have much to do with your feet because first of all um, um, your frostbite already um, over um, 24 hours which is the golden hour for um, the treatment for the frostbite and then um, he would like to refer me out to the um, big city like um, like San Francisco Mm -hmm. or Los Angeles for the further treatment but yeah because I didn't have much relatives or friends in United States, so I decided to go back to Hong Kong for the further treatment after staying in the hospital in Nong Pai for almost a week. So <sighs> the treatment for my um, fit actually it was not much. <laughs> what was good? Because okay, mm-hmm. now now your feet is fine. Yeah, they are all uh, well oh, and they are goodness. all recover. Yes, but what was going through your head at that time? Were, were you scared of losing your toes? Yeah, definitely. Um, because um, the first time um, the doctor, he told me that, um, Joshua, your hiking days are over. And then <gasps> I, my first thought um, was denial. You know, um, the defense mechanism. <laughs> you you probably would deny, deny that. No, I would go back on the PCT again. But the truth, um, it was you have to take a break for a long time, like few months. And even you didn't know um, how your fit will recover because there actually was a lot of uncertainty for the frostbite. You have to wait and you have to see how it how is it going uh, along the way d- mm. i mean you you received help from the from from the trail mm-hmm. angels did you see any other sort of things that people encountered what were some of the difficulties that other people encountered that you saw along the way um actually the m- difficulties on the trail i think it would be the mental one yes. because we always um call that um PCT actually is a mental game instead of your physical one because um, physical ability you will train up on the chill gradually but for the mental one you have to have a good mental preparation to be alone to be caught with some adversity on the chill so that is quite important for your mental preparation yeah Joshua you, you are a social worker by training and, and also a photographer how did you train your own sort of mental resilience mm-hmm. you know for, for a very difficult journey yeah um, yeah actually as a social worker we always promoting um, the resilience in the secondary school or, or um, primary school but um, for my own resilience I think uh, most of them were trained up um, in the trail running or in the sport events because in most of the sport events, you may 
um, taste, or you may feel some adversity or the tough situation, and then you may gradually to cope with those adversity um, in your um, like training or in my um, um, trail running like 100 kilometers in Hong Kong. So yeah, you may face a lot of difficulties and those difficulties may become um, your stepping stone. Extreme hiker Joshua Long on Tuesday's 123 show. Since the pandemic has stopped many from exploring other countries, staycations are the closest thing to traveling. You might even want to bring your furry friend along. However, you might want to check the terms and conditions before you pay for anything, as recent reports have shown that consumers were subjected to staycation scams, where they weren't given what they paid for. Gilly Wong, the chief executive of the Consumer Council, spoke to Nixie Lam and Hugh Chiverton on Backchat about ways to prevent having a bad time when enjoying a staycation. Well, uh, first of all, when we talk about vacations, um, the consumers will have a much higher expectation about the hotel because they will stay a lot more time in room as well as to use the facilities like swimming pools, spa or, 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 the, or the fitness center or even the buffet. They enjoy buffet a lot. Mm. But um, what, the, what kind of, you know, um, uh, complaints you know, that we receive, for example, uh, when someone, there's a complainant, that um, she had a celebration, but uh, she spent a lot of time in checking out the uh, um, the 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 suite, uh, the top story sea view suite. Then you know she she check it out again and again, and then she book it. But by the time she check in, um, she just realized that the room was blocked by two commercial buildings, um, the rooftop of two commercial buildings. That is extremely disappointing for her, because from so the, the official different. website, <laughs> mm. um, um, she she uh, what she saw is uh, is completely serial. It's a 100% 360-degree kind of serial. Mm. But unfortunately, it turned out to be not the case. That ruined her celebration a lot. So this is one case. Another case is about pets. Pet owners love to bring their pets to the hotels to have a vacation, right? Mm. But um, one hotel uh, got complained because uh, it only received uh, dogs, but not cats. Uh, but it doesn't state well in um, in the terms and conditions. Um, so by the time the, uh, the complainant check-in, uh, she uh, realized uh, um, um, this fact, and then, uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of arguments in between. But finally, um, she got checked in, but you know, she got charged for extra $500 for cleaning up the room as well. So this is another complaint. And also some other complaints is related to the promotional offers, whether it's clearly stated, uh, uh, whether uh, uh, the hotel can fully honor um, the, um, the offer and promotion that they talk about. Um, that led to some other complaints as well. So, um, cut it all in short, what we suggest consumer is, in case you want to have a vacation, don't just attract by all the lovely promotions and offers. If you have any specific need, specific demand, you better check it out the details with the hotel first in advance. Mm. Otherwise, you know, that may cause a lot of disappointment for you. And also, if you are really um, concerned about uh, the pandemic, uh, in another survey, a mystery survey that we did, we found some hotels actually they don't proactively notify the consumers or, 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 or the customers um, in case you know, they have in, any infected cases. So the consumers also have to be really mindful about um, the measures and policies of different hotels when such incident happened, what would they do for you? Mm. It seems like there's a lot of um, clause that comes around with those um, staycation packages. Um, like there's a lot of like vouchers and how when can, you can use use those vouchers and when you cannot use those vouchers and and restrict the restaurant and stuff. It seems like it's just that they the customer just needs to check up more carefully. There's nothing that we can actually do on that, isn't it? Um, there are two things you 
you know, that actually can be done. First of all, we should urge the hotel to do better mm. uh, in their communication. Mm. Um, and also, be especially, you know, when they offer the information to third-party platforms like the online travel agencies, mm. because what we found, quite a number of um, complaints and disputes are booked via those uh, third-party platforms. Mm-hmm. Some is with the official uh, website, but some is the third-party uh, travel online, uh, online travel agencies, the OTA. So we believe um, the the hotel actually can do a lot more better in the communication, the information that they offer. But on the other hand, um, for the uh, consumers, probably you know they have to be more mindful about what exactly they need. And in case they spot something that's not that clear, it's better to check it out before they really confirm the booking. Mm. And, and have they got to you and the consumer council because they didn't get satisfaction from the hotel, or did they complain to the hotel and then they, you know, that, that didn't work? So yeah, they, they obviously, ended with you? obviously, sometimes mm. you know they they have direct conversation, but it doesn't come into a, a resolution. So um, they uh, came to us to uh, seek for further assistance. But uh, of course, you know, we are very good at conciliation, so we do our very best to help um, the complainants. And um, for the few cases. Um, the first case, we have a very happy ending because the uh, consumer gets a uh, refund by half of the room rate that mm-hmm. she paid for. But mm-hmm. for the second and the third one, um, because the terms and conditions is quite clear, um, so it's unlikely, you know, that can be conciliated. And, and then, you know, the complainant um, finally, you know, have no reply to us on what the next step they want to have. Yeah. I'm actually, as a cat owner, I'm actually very confused why the, the, the dogs are allowed and not the cats. <laughs> Well, <laughs> and then yeah. they charge another five hundred bucks. I mean, cats can. Go oh, I'm to a toilet. cat owner, but I would never think of taking my cat to a hotel. I'm, I'm considering. I, I have a few of my friends. But yeah, we just like photo, we also talk about it. It is very difficult to guess, but uh, maybe there's one possible reason: is um, cats maybe um, sometimes you know they crawl oh, a little bit, yeah, and scratchy. <laughs> so just in case you know uh, it it, uh, it damage anything, you know the risk may be higher. We don't know. Mm. We haven't checked it out with the hotel, but what we believe is if you have a specific. Uh, limitation about what kind of pets that the um, the the guests can uh, can bring. You better spell it up well in advance. Yeah, I think there's an incident about a girl bringing a lizard or something as a pet into one of the hotel. I think there's a news about that. Yeah, about two months ago or something. Different consumers have uh, have their own favorite pets. Yeah, uh, some can be maybe a rabbit or some other things, but you have to tell um, the guests really upfront so that mm. they can make an informed decision whether they want to come or not. Mm. Or even if they um, they just do it on their own, um, you still have the good reason of telling the guests that, you know, why you have to charge for the extra $500 or some other cleaning fee is involved. That was Gilly Wong, the Chief Executive of the Consumer Council on Thursday's Back Chat. Do you know what the CIBS is? Well, it's RTHK's Community Broadcasting Service. It's really fun, diverse, and invites anybody with a good idea to be on the air. Next, we're going to hear from writer and journalist James Ockenden, whose program Wham Bam Tram will be on air tonight and every Saturday night at 10 o'clock. He told Phil Whelan all about it and his website, transitgem.com, on Thursday's Morning Brew. Wham Bam Tram is a radio show, 13-week uh, weekly pre-recorded radio show on Channel 7. So it's on the Putonghua channel. Yep. Um, and we can just have some great guests talk about transport and promote 
you know, sustainable transport and, and transport policy in Hong Kong. And it's, it's been really fun. It's been really successful. And it's always a topic that gets people going in the pub or over dinner or whatever, the drivers, the non-drivers, the cyclists. And um, this yeah. is obviously not new to you, is it? No, I mean, this is... I, I launched uh, Transit Jam about a year and a half ago, and I was... I'd run environmental websites, you know, before, and they never really get much traction. And then suddenly I do something on transport and parking, and people are writing in, and they're, oh, you know, growling about Alphards and, and parking <laughs> and the cars. <laughs> and it really gets people going. You're right. It, and it's wonderful. So it, so there's actually quite a good following for Transit Jam, and, and Wamban Tram is kind of an extension of that. Really. The, the Alphard is interesting because if you take, um, you know, a certain app service to get from A to B, they're those they're, they're the archetypal I'm all right jack motor, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, you're very comfortable. I mean, I took one uh, about six months ago. Um, we were looking at apartments and we looked at one which was stupidly out of our price range and the, the agent sent an Alphard for us <laughs> because that's how high-end it was. You know, there's no way we could have afforded it. And I got in and it was comfortable that's the thing. and so nice. And the seat reclines and then we just sort of glide around and then you get out this automatic door. You don't even have to close the uh -huh. door. So I can see the appeal, definitely. They, they sort of come with an automatic middle fingers being stuck out the window to everybody else. Yeah, and when right. you think about the amount of people who drive these, they well, used to call them people movers, didn't they? Um, this, yeah. We're probably getting closer to the crux of the stuff you like to write about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's more the, the growth in these private cars. I think because they're so easy and they're becoming, they're reasonably quite cheap as well if you lease them. So the growth has been phenomenal in the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And I think the government's kind of took its eye off the ball a bit there. And we have very good public transport in Hong Kong. We're, we're probably the city in the world with the most public transport use. Mm -hmm. And I think the government rests on its laurels a bit, you know, there. Um, and, you know, forgot that the, the number of private cars was, was, was shooting up so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of Hong Kong's most you know, romantic and fascinating history is to do with planes, trains, automobiles, etc. That's not exactly your area, but this is the glue that holds Hong Kong together until it goes yeah, wrong. Yeah, and ferries, I would say. Ferries, you know, water oh, yeah, transport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we, we're a city of islands and, 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 and sea, and, you know, we don't really use the water enough or as much as we should. Yeah. Well, let, so, let, let's stick with Wham Bam Tram for a second, because as I say, this one, yeah. do, this one does what it says on the tin, and I know some of the stuff mm. you've talked about does Im involve water taxis. Firstly, can you tell our listeners when they can check you out and where? I know you said Apple Tongwa channel. Oh, sure, yeah. It's, well, it airs on Saturday nights at 10pm uh, on AM621, so that's the uh, Channel 7. Mm -hmm. And so it goes out live there. It's on the RTHK website. Um, there's a sort of very long, complicated website address. Um, if you go to transitjam.com, you, uh, you can find a, a link to the show there. Yeah, yeah. What, um, what kind of, yeah. Where, where do you go with Wham Bam Tram? Because obviously your blog, I'm looking at it now, it's fab, it's super detailed. Yeah. But radio, you've just got to say, here we are and here's the message and we want you to understand it. Where do you go with this? Um, well, yeah, it is challenging because we do interviews and also we get really into it. And so <laughs> I'm interviewing everyone I've interviewed. We're doing 35 minute interviews and the interview section of our, of our show is only like 12 minutes. So I'm cutting a lot <laughs> of good stuff. I'm learning that. Yeah. Um, it's quite challenging. But yeah, we, I was in Lantau a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about the cycling issue and the car issue. Oh, that's getting that big, the by first, the way. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Yeah, I, yeah. so I understand there's a bit of a problem with the permits there and, and things like that. A load of people were nicked the other day. I really don't understand. I don't drive. Um, they were all busted, and yet they're legit Lantau residents, and it's something to do with copies. Anyway, it's just, it's just a complete kerfuffle. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's rare to see car drivers getting nicked. I mean, because they use the emergency vehicle access road in Lan in um, Uwo with you know with without fear of. I, th I think they're worried about people who don't have permits, James. Which I'm sure right. you know. Saturday, well, let's chance it, shall we? Zoom. Next thing you know, you're in the seafood restaurant in Uwo. Right. I think that's yes. what it is. And where have you parked? You know, exactly. you've parked basically on the riverfront, you know, which is supposed to be for, for people to walk. Yeah. So, Do you tackle this kind of issue? You mentioned the EV. These are the emergency vehicle access roads, and they are meant exactly to be for that, but obviously people use them to drive on. My question, yeah, would, yeah, be, my question would be, do people have yeah. any choice but to drive on these roads? You know. What? They, they have it. Once they've got a car, they don't really have a choice because that's the only way to get to their house and mm. to use the car. Mm. So the question is, why did they buy the car in the first place? Uh -huh. And I think they've seen other people are doing it. And as I said, they're not that expensive. So just get a car. Why not? It's mm. comfortable. It's easy. Writer and CIBS producer James Ockenden was talking to Phil Whelan a couple days ago on Morning Brew. Don't forget to catch Wham Bam Tram tonight at 10 on RTHK's Pudunghua channel. And finally, Steve James takes us back to Thursday and beyond. I'm Christy Lai. Okay, let's glance back in time to this day, 1955, when, after a month of booking gigs in larger venues, in Dallas and Houston, Colonel Tom Parker arranged a meeting with Elvis Presley's manager, Bob Neal. This resulted in a legendary agreement that saw the Colonel handle Presley's gigs and career strategy from that point on. This day, 1965, the Kinks and the Moody Blues made their US concert debut at the Academy of Music in New York City. Can you imagine that combination of bands? Uh, this day, 1971, Carole King went to number one on the US album chart with the album Tapestry. Is it in your collection? It was the first of 15 consecutive weeks the album contained It's Too Late, I Feel the Earth Move, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, and You've Got a Friend, a mass of hit singles from one album. This day, 1972, Don McLean had his first UK number one single with Vincent. The song was written about the 19th century artist Vincent van Gogh, of course. The song is played daily at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. And if you're saying Van Gogh or Van Gogh, then stop it, unless you're wearing a mask. And this day, 1972, this is a beauty. The Rolling Stones album, Exile on Main Street, started a four-week run at the top of the US charts. It's a double album, regularly regarded as one of the band's best. It features the tracks Rocks Off, Rip This Joint, Happy, and this one, Tumbling Dice.